I want to raise a fundamental question, a foundational question. Why, why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? I mean, why is there suffering? Why is there pain? I mean, that's an age-old question. And I want to suggest to you uh, that there are at least four basic reasons why we suffer. Welcome to Living a Legacy, presenting the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Well, we've all asked that question at some point. Maybe you're asking it now because of something you're going through. Why do we suffer? Could it be that suffering plays a role far greater than we could possibly imagine? Let's check that out today here on Living a Legacy. Crawford is currently leading us through a series called Navigating Life's Challenges, based on the book of 1 Peter. If you're new to our broadcast, a special welcome to you. Here's a bit of background on our speaker. Crawford has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years. His books include Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, and a book he co-authored with his wife Karen called Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. You're joining us about midway through our series, and there's still much to study, so hope you'll be with us throughout the weeks to come. By the way, you can get caught up through our website. We're streaming all of the messages so far in the series, and you can listen anytime. Details at the end of our broadcast. Today's study takes us to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through chapter 4, verse 12. Here's Crawford Loretz with the first half of his message, The Privilege of Suffering on Living a Legacy. We've been talking about here in the book of 1 Peter, the whole idea of suffering. In fact, that is the backdrop for the entire book of 1 Peter. It is the essence of the book. It's about suffering. And I have to say specifically, it's about uh, not just general suffering. It's about a specific kind of suffering. Persecution is what Peter is talking about. In context, these are these exiles, these believers that have been scattered about the five provinces of the Roman Empire. Uh, Jerusalem had uh, uh, become a lightning rod for persecution, and all these believers in the cradle of uh, Christianity, where it all started, drew the attention of the Roman Empire, and so they got scattered there. And so Peter picks up his pen because he's concerned about how they're faring and how they're going to face all of this suffering and pain that they're going through. And he writes them to, to give them hope and to give them perspective. Entitled the series, uh, Navigating Life's Challenges, and that all of us can identify with suffering and pain. These folks are going through a very, very difficult and a very, very hard time. And the truth of the matter is all of us suffer. Um, you know, I feel almost embarrassed when we talk about suffering here or persecution in the United States. You know, uh, it's kind of even hard for me to say those words when you've been to other parts of the world and you realize, you know, that our little inconvenience is really not, not, not persecution at all. Uh, now, some of us are, but... Um, and then there's another issue here that I just want to put out on the table, and I don't mean to bash us at all, but I think we need to speak to the reality of this. As we've been going through this book, one of the things I've, I've underscored several times is that there is a certain cons consumerism here in the United States. There's a consumer mindset that even, even filters how we approach our Christianity. You know, if the truth be told, if the truth be told, we have much more of an entitlement mindset or an entitled mindset concerning all things gospel and all things Christian. In other words, we don't feel like we deserve to suffer, that we, you know, come on now, wait a minute, I, that's, you know, if I'm walking with God and I'm obeying his word and I'm, I'm living for him and I'm doing all the right stuff, then right stuff, good stuff should happen to me. 
What's with this talk about suffering and pain and hassles and pressures and problems? What's with all of this stuff? I don't deserve that. Why me? And I just need to be straight up with you. It is particularly that kind of mindset. When you compare the brand of Christianity here in our country with that around the world, we look so terribly superficial. Because we have conditioned ourselves to think that Jesus makes me better and better and better and better. Better being defined as, you know, more peaceful, more pleasant, more comfortable. But that's not so. And the Bible collides with that thinking. And the truth of the matter is that we all suffer in varying degrees. We've either come out of some suffering or we're going into some suffering or we're in it right now. So how do we handle all of this? You know, there's this guy that was um, in the hospital, and uh, uh, this nurse came by and read his chart and preparing it for the doctor to come and make his rounds and looked at the chart, and she didn't have the best bedside manner in the world, said to the guy, said to the the patient, she said, boy, I, I suppose you're preparing for the worst, aren't you? Well, he turned and said to her, he said, no, actually, I'm preparing for the best. You see, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And that's what it is in a Christian life. All things, ultimately, they do work together for good. The text doesn't say that all things feel good. It says that all things ultimately work together for good. And before we get any further in the text here, actually there's going to be two passages that I'm going to turn your attention to here in 1 Peter. Before we get, get further down the road, I want to raise a fundamental question, a foundational question. Why, why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? I mean, why is there suffering? Why is there pain? I mean, that's an age-old question. And I want to suggest to you uh, that there are at least four basic reasons why we suffer. One is the fundamental foundational reason why we suffer, and that is, number one, we, we live in a fallen world. I think we underestimate the breadth and impact and contamination of sin. When man fell, sin entered society, it entered the world, and all of pain and all of suffering really ultimately is a manifestation of the sinfulness of mankind. Even sickness and disease ultimately is a, is a product of sin. The hellacious things that people do, uh, uh, shooting folks from hotel windows and, and all of this stuff, all of that is a product of the darkness of sin that's inside of all of our hearts. The coming after folks, the mean treatment, the manifestation of all these things, uh, the hassles and breakdown in relationships, the conflict and all of that is rooted in sin. So often we suffer because of sin. I think a second reason why we suffer is because of the consequences of wrongdoing. Now, I would have to say that this is not necessarily uh, uh, technically biblical suffering. Uh, Sometimes some of us are going through a painful, hard time because God didn't send that. It's the consequences of our choices. We made bad decisions. We made bad choices. We did certain things. We slept around and got a disease, or we got somebody pregnant, or we 
did this or we did that or this thing happened and there are consequences of our sin. And I just need to say this here. I don't know what it is about us. There is, there is this craziness in our minds that we think, some of us think that we could go ahead and do all of the most awful things or do things that we know is wrong. And somehow or another, God's going to wink and nod. The Bible teaches that whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And there's no such thing as crop failure with God. So here's the point. You say this to our kids, and I, I say this to myself. When you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. When you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Always. So some of our suffering has to do with the consequences of bad choices. And I think, number three, um, we suffer because it's God's discipline. Let me explain. I don't know. Sometimes it's not necessarily that we've done something wrong, but sometimes God just wants to take certain things that are not wholesome away from me. And you'll see later on, I, this is particularly true. He also does this in churches and groups that represent him. And so we suffer because it's a part of God disciplining us and getting us to the place where he wants us to be. And then I think fourthly, which is where we are today, we suffer because of outside forces, persecution for our faith. We've got to come to grips with the reality. And I said this at the very beginning when we launched this series that, listen, listen, suffering is core to the Christian life. There is no gospel living apart from suffering. Suffering is core to who we are as followers of Christ. And so, as you read texts like this, and you read through the Bible, there's never any discussion about, you know, if you're a believer, you shouldn't suffer. It's a given that peoples of God, they're going to suffer. Now, uh, today, I'm going to take us to two texts of Scripture here. Uh, one is found in chapter 3, and the other one's over in chapter 4. They're separated, but I felt that, that they, they, they belong together because one, one, one section talks about our approach to suffering, and the other one talks about our attitude towards suffering. And they go together, the approach and the attitude. Actually, the attitude, the attitude really helps to buttress us in terms of our approach. So first of all, what is our approach to suffering? Well, that's what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8 and going through the end of the chapter, verse 22. If I would summarize what he's saying in this section, I would make this one simple sentence. Our approach to suffering is to take the high road. To take the high road. As we look at suffering and we look at this as our, as our heritage, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to take the high road when it comes to suffering. First of all, we take the high road in terms of your response, in terms of our response. Verse, verse 8 says, finally, all of you have uh, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Let me just comment on that. I don't want to spend too much on this, but what, what, what Peter is saying basically in this context is that you know, you all need each other. And when you're going through a desperate and hard time, you can't be turning on one another. Remember, remember, you're all, you all are exiles. You're in foreign territory. The persecution's coming after you. You can't shoot your own wounded. You don't have the time to be secondary and, 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 and to be petty in your relationships. If ever there needed to be some unity among you that you need to turn to one another for, for help and for encouragement, it is right now. 
My goodness, I could really go off on this because sometimes among churches, we are so petty and secondary, and you got hurting people all around us, and we're making secondary issues, primary passions, and we're bent out of shape, and there are people who need us to come alongside of them, to lay aside our preferences, and to love on them, and to help them to get through. And that's what Peter's saying here. Hey, man. <laughs> You don't have time for this. Then he says here in verse 9, he says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. This is your, your, your demeanor, your response to what's going wrong is to bless, to give a blessing. Peter is, is giving encouragement to uh, to, to know how to respond in the midst of all of this pain. The word bless here comes from uh, a word uh, that uh, actually the transliteration is eulogy. Eulogeo, to eulogize. And the word literally means to speak well of someone. Now check this out. He says, these people are reviling you. They're coming after you. They're making false accusations concerning you. They're going to do some very bad things to you. But what I want you to do is I want you to bless them. I want you to bless them. I don't want you to respond in kind. I want your attitude to be one of blessing them. I don't want you to empower their nonsense by going back and forth with them. Now, certainly throughout the scriptures, there are other passages in which there is redress and there's a way of going about things and, and what have you. But uh, what Peter's talking about is the purity of heart and motivation. You see, basically, we can choose to live on one of three levels when folks come after us, okay? One is we can return evil for good. Now, I don't know about you, but I've met some evil, ornery people in the world. My mama called them contrary folks. I mean, no matter what, they just, they're evil. I don't know if you've ever met any of those, but I've met a few in my life that no matter what, they, they, every day is a bad day for these people. And uh, they, just, they, they just can't say anything good about anybody. They're negative, they're complainers, uh, they're hurt people, they're bitter in their hearts and this kind of thing. And no, you say something good to them, they're going to say something bad to you. Or you can live on the other level. I think this is where most of us, quite frankly, are tempted to live. We return good for good and evil for evil. Hey, you nice to me, I'm going to be nice to you. You mess over me, I'm going to give you mess back so you don't mess over me again. You say something nice about me, I'm going to say something nice about you. You show me up in public, hey, you're going to hear about it. So you can live that way if you want to, but that's not the gospel way. That's not the gospel way. The gospel way is, is to respond the way Jesus would respond. Oh, yeah, he spoke the truth. But he didn't engage in hostility. The third way is a supernatural way, the gospel way. Return good for evil. This is a grace way. And that's what Peter is saying. Look, I want you to respond the grace way. They're reviling you. But your, your approach is to take the high road. You take the high road in terms 
of your response. And verses 10 through 12, by the way, is really uh, Peter's referring to and quoting Psalm 34, verses 10 through 12. And as he walks through this and he says, this is what a blessing looks like. This is what it means to bless people, to say good about somebody. He says here in verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from, from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. First of all, watch what you say. Words can get you into trouble. He says again here in verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Uh, don't retaliate is what he's saying. Resist the urge to fight back. Don't retaliate. Don't escalate it. Then he says the second part of verse 11, let him seek peace and pursue it. Pursue peace by returning a blessing. I'm not going to fight you. You take the high road in terms of your response. Secondly, you take the high road in terms of your witness. I actually believe that this is the core. This is the core of Peter's argument. The core of Peter's argument, and if you trace this throughout the book, it's all about, it's all about not how I'm feeling or how comfortable I am or what people are doing to me. The core of what Peter's concerned with is that Jesus Christ and the testimony of the gospel and the power of Christ is demonstrated through every issue, every area of my life, every circumstance, yes, every bit of suffering, that my witness for the Savior is crystal clear that Jesus has seen. It is not so much what is happening to me as is this an opportunity for the glory of God and for the person of Jesus Christ to be demonstrated even though it's in the midst of my pain. And that's the point that he's making here in verses 13 through 17. Look at verses 13 and 14. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Now, first of all, he's, he's, he's pointing out the, 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 the reality here that no real harm is going to befall you. You say to yourself, come on now, Crawford, you, you got to be insane. Peter must have lost his mind. What do you mean, no real harm? Some of these people were killed by Nero. I mean, you, you real harm. No, ultimately, no real harm is going to befall you. You see, there's a lot worse things can happen to you than dying. There's a lot worse things that can happen to all of us than going through physical pain. So when he, when he says no harm is going to happen to you, he's talking about ultimately, what, what are they going to do to you? He's echoing, I really believe, what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, when he's going through the same thing. He's in jail. Paul wasn't naive. He wasn't living in a state of denial. They're going to chop his head off, which they did. And yet he says in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Ultimately, they can't harm me. I'm going to live for him if I'm in pain down here. And if they take my life, I'll be in his presence. He gave further exposition of that, didn't he? In the last paragraph of Romans chapter 8, he says, who and what's going to separate us from the love of God? What are you going to do to separate me from that? What are you going to do to me to take my eternal reward from me? You can't harm me. You can hurt me, yeah. You can torture me, yeah. But you can't harm me. And so his argument is, is since that is the case, he says in verse 15, 
but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Sometimes we live verses a little bit out of context, and so we quote this verse, and I've quoted it myself, as a, as a verse for witnessing and for apologetics and the defense of the gospel, and it is that. But the verse takes on a richer meaning when you drop it in its broader context here. What, what he is talking about here is that let the pain, let the suffering, let the persecution drive you to clarity in terms of your witness. That you speak what is ultimately most important. That in your pain and in your suffering, they see the beauty of the Lordship of Christ. They see who's most important to you. They see his sustaining power. They see his grace in your life. And then when they ask you, how in the world can you do that? You give them the reason for the hope that is in you. And you don't do it in a confrontational way. But you do it with gentleness, sweetness. Sometimes our greatest opportunities to declare the hope of the gospel is when we're going through painful, awful situations. The suffering that takes place in our hearts and life. Always be ready. So we take the high road in your witness, certainly. We take the high road in your focus. Peter always comes back in this letter to Jesus. He always comes back to Jesus. He always comes back to Jesus as the ultimate motivator, as the ultimate motivation, as the ultimate example. And it's amazing. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole paragraph, but I do want to just focus on verse 18. It says, for Christ also suffered. Remember? Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He did this. What Peter is doing, he's reaching back. He says, the only way you can do this is by looking at Jesus. How Jesus submitted how he pressed into the Father and, and got what he needed. You know, Jesus' sinless life provoked hostility from sinful, evil people. And that's what happens to all of us. You know, here's the deal. You know, when you live a righteous life, you become a mirror to those out there who should be following Jesus. And one of two things typically happens. Either they're drawn to the Savior that you represent, or because they don't want to repent, you remind them of what they should be doing and they get a little hostile towards you. Dr. Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy. Suffering. It's a difficult topic, but one we must get a hold of as believers. We need to learn to think differently about our response to suffering when it comes. Crawford will continue this message called The Privilege of Suffering next week. It's all part of his series, Navigating Life's Challenges, based on the book of 1 Peter. Now, if you missed out on any of the messages in the series so far, get caught up on our website. Look for the Past Programs link at livingalegacy.org. And you can download the entire series for free. Look for the MP3 link on the website, which will connect you to Moody Audio, where you can save these messages on your computer or MP3 device, livingalegacy.org. If you're finding this series helpful, please let us know. Your feedback and financial support help ensure that we'll be here each week. Make a note to yourself to write legacyandmoody.edu. 
legacyatmoody.edu. Thanks for being part of our study today. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.